Hello and welcome to Walk in the Shadowlands podcast. Let me be your guide as we take a walk into the shadowy realms of the unexplained, the paranormal, of things that go bump in the night and haunt your dreams. Your host? I'm Marianne. And I would like to welcome you to our podcast. Thank you so much for joining us tonight, today, whatever time it is, wherever you are living in this beautiful world of ours. So sit back, relax, and let me be your guide as we walk into the Shadowlands together and discover what awaits us there. In November 2004, 90 miles southwest off the coast of Mexico, near Baja, California, in the USA, the USS Nimitz Carrier Strike Group was conducting two weeks of routine training and aerial defense exercises when unexplained events occurred that forever have altered the lives of the men and women on board these ships who were witness to these episodes. What began as a routine naval training exercise ended up as one of the world's best documented UFO sightings in the 21st century. Witnesses included very highly trained military personnel, amongst them very experienced radar operators and fighter pilots. These were men who were in charge of the world's then most sophisticated and advanced flight and sensor technology that existed in the world at that time. A video of part of this incident was leaked to the world and has been the subject of intense speculation since. Are you ready to walk with me into this part of the Shadowlands and see what we can discover about this event, or rather, series of events? Good. Then let's begin. Over a period of a week, a group of unknown tic-tac-shaped objects, including one 45 foot long, that played cat and mouse with the USS Navy. Reportedly, over this period of time over the week, more than 100 of these objects were observed. These objects also appeared at an altitude of higher than 80,000 feet, with some suddenly dropping to 20,000 feet. 80,000 feet is much higher than commercial or even military planes generally fly. This all began on November 10, 2004, in an area of sea 90 miles southwest of San Diego, California, when the USS Princeton began tracking strange objects on the Aegis radar systems, which they called AAVs, short for Anomalous Aerial Vehicles. Each ship in this exercise had specific tasks that they were commissioned for. The main role of the Princeton was to see to the air defence of the entire strike group. Senior Chief Kevin Day was the anti-air warfare coordinator aboard the Princeton. He describes his role as this, quote, My job was to man the radars and ID everything that flew in the skies, and I also had a position called Anti-Air Warfare Coordinator, where if we ever had to go to war, I was the guy that was going to launch the missiles and kill shit. 
In addition to that, I was the air intercept controller. When the Super Hornet takes off from the carrier, I'm the guy who takes control and takes them to the fight and gets them home safe. End quote. He was also an expert on the Aegis radar system that the Princeton used. This was a man who was well experienced and knew precisely what he was doing and what he was observing on the system. The spy won. His attention was drawn to some anomalous readings, some quote, weird tracks, end quote, that were appearing on the Spy One radar screen, appearing in groups of five to ten at a time. He said they were closely spaced to each other at about 28,000 feet. He quickly ruled these out as commercial airplanes because they weren't on the commercial flight paths, but he wasn't overly concerned about them at this stage. They didn't appear hostile. But over a course of three to four days, these tracks continued to appear on radar, causing Kevin Day to become concerned about the safety of his pilots in the air and of the possible air threat to the strike group. The men involved were unable to identify these objects, which was causing some frustration to them all. Due to their concern, they recalibrated all their systems, thinking it might be a systems malfunction, which is a fair enough supposition. However, when the systems were finished being recalibrated, they merely showed the objects off in sharper detail, using the most advanced systems in the world at that time, as Kevin Day says. Quote, we failed entirely to identify any of these objects. End quote. Finally, on November the 14th, Kevin Day received the order from the commander to intercept the objects. Two Hornet pilots received the order to stop their training mission and deploy to the new coordinates for a real-world task. And Kevin sent the BRA coordinates, BRA standing for bearing, range and altitude. He also said, quote, As soon as he got to the merge point, referring to the pilot, the object dropped 20,000 feet down to 50,000 feet above the water in 0.78 seconds, end quote. A merge position is where two objects on the radar are in the same position and same coordinates and look like one object. Now, when the pilots first arrived at the scene, they didn't see the objects, but noticed a disturbance in the water below them. Then they spotted one of the objects flying about 50 feet above the disturbance in the water. Commander Fravor, commanding officer of Strike Fighter Squadron 41, who was lead pilot with more than 16 years of flying experience, described the object as 40 foot long, shaped like a tic-tac candy with no obvious means of propulsion. He also said that the movements this object made were very swift and erratic. Similar, he said, quote, to if you threw a ping-pong ball against the wall, end quote. However, the object reacted immediately to the presence of the F-18s and took off according to one description like a bullet fired from a gun. Another pilot dispatched after Commander Fravor landed was able to capture one of the objects on the now famous Tic Tac video from his plane. 
while this incident was known about pretty widely in the US naval circles, it was not so widely known by the general public. But that all altered after an article was written about it in the New York Times, along with an official Air Force video of the object taken from the fighter mentioned, showing the object on their screen and then taking off at tremendous speed. Quoting from the New York Times article, the operator said the Princeton had been tracking mysterious aircraft. The objects appeared suddenly at 80,000 feet and then hurled towards the sea, eventually stopping at 20,000 feet and hovering. Then they either dropped out of radar range or shot straight back up. The video of the object went viral, as you can imagine, and was spread all over the net, all over the news outlets. It was the subject of doubtless Countless conversations amongst those who follow UFOs and the reporting of these ships. Of course, since then, we've had the release of others, notably the Gimbal incident. And most recently, in late September this year, 2019, of the US forces formally acknowledging that these UFOs are very real indeed. Of course, they don't say anything other than they are real. Nothing about the intelligent beings that have to operate or indeed to have created these craft. These next few episodes of the podcast are all about eyewitness accounts of these objects from men that were actually serving on board the ships at the time of the incidents occurring. In the official report retrieved under the Freedom of Information Act in the USA, the executive summary of these events, a copy of which is available from this episode's page on the podcast website, www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. It has these key assessments. The anomalous aerial vehicle was no known aircraft or air vehicle currently in the inventory of United States or any foreign nation. The anomalous aerial view exhibited advanced low observable characteristics at multiple radar bands rendering US radar based engagement capabilities ineffective. The anomalous aerial vehicle exhibited advanced aerodynamic performance with no visible control services and no visible means to generate lift. The anomalous aerial vehicle exhibited advanced propulsion capabilities by demonstrating the ability to remain stationary, with little to no variation in altitude transitioning to horizontal and or vertical velocities far greater than any non-aerial vehicle with little to no visible signature. The anomalous aerial vehicle possibly demonstrated the ability to cloak or to become invisible to the human eye or human observation. The anomalous aerial vehicle possibly demonstrated a highly advanced capability to operate undersea completely undetectable by our most advanced sensors. Pretty mind-blowing really, isn't it?
I'm very fortunate to have as my guests two gentlemen, one Patrick Hughes, who was on the USS Nimitz, and one Gary Voorhe, who was on the USS Princeton at the time of these incidents. These are their recollections and thoughts about what happened and their parts in them. And finally, their thoughts about them now, given the hindsight of time. To begin with, I'm just going to go over the actual experiences with the gentlemen themselves. Then once both have shared their experiences, we'll discuss the conclusions that both of them have come up with, with the vision of hindsight and years of thinking and pondering over these experiences. Firstly though, I'd like to welcome my guest Gary Voorhee. Gary is a former third class petty officer and fire controlman. He worked on the Aegis computer system on a CG-59 guided missile cruiser, the USS Princeton. He was in charge of the CEC, Cooperative Engagement Capability System, data recording and maintaining and operating all the mainframes that ran the system. My guest, Gary Voorhe. First of all, Thank you very much, Gary, for coming and talking to us for this episode. I'm really grateful to you for your time, since I know how very busy you've been, especially since the video came out with both your young family and work, and everyone's demands on your time, mine included. Yeah, I'm, I'm blue collar, so I mean, it's just how it is. You know, you got work, family, stuff like that, so I just kind of have to squeeze these in wherever I can. Yeah, I totally get that. So I guess we'll just start at the beginning. Back in 2004, uh, I was a fire controlman um, with on an Aegis cruiser, uh, the CG-59, which was the USS Princeton. We were uh, a flight guard and aircraft controller for the Nimitz Battle Group. We were doing flight guard and uh, air control for the Nimitz at the time, and we were basically doing... Um, training missions uh we were uh testing out new systems and uh uh we we had a, a new baseline of aegis so we had uh the, the latest and greatest of the aegis systems and uh we were testing all those new systems out and then we also had ec which was a new system um cc was uh it was was kind of an amazing breakthrough with the battle group because it, it allowed us primary its primary duty was to be able to allow us it would allow us to basically be able to fire our salvo with other people's sensor data so like say if uh one of the other ships in the group had a good, a good lock on something but we couldn't actually see it CEC would allow us to shoot our missiles at their target. Wow. So it, it basically shares all the sensor data, making a three-dimensional picture of the entire battle group's airspace. Oh, that's fascinating. You, you don't get like, a, it's not like in Star Wars where you can see the picture. Right. You know, it's just the data is there and we can use the data. And it's not a, you know, a lot of people in their head that there's you know console in the middle and a three-dimensional picture coming up and we can see the uh you know the all the ufos and stuff like that but no it's it's a flat screen and we could just access that information as you need it <laughs> uh so i was talking about how uh the the day of uh the first the first you know hint that there was something even going on we didn't really take it serious and we uh you know i woke up that day i was late or I had to, 
I had a late watch. I woke up early and <laughs> wasn't able to go back to sleep. So went up to uh, combat to take a look at these uh, these these this clutter and these uh, these ghost tracks as they as they were calling them because they didn't believe that they were real because of how slow they were flying and um, I'd uh, you know I had looked at the tracks and you know I'd seen clutter before and. Yeah, to me, they looked like sharp tracks, like uh, they were def- well-defined. Right. They rather, were clutter kind of, like, uh, instead of having just a nice, well-defined shape to it, it'll, you know, you'll see little splotches, kind of like when, you're, when, you, when you see that tearing on your digital TVs, where uh, you see the picture and it kind of tears across. Well, that little tear would look like, a, would look like radar clutter. <laughs> oh, right. Um, but now think of that as green clutter, though. That's the, like the kind of shape and size of the clutter. Um, the spy radar is powerful enough to be able to track the uh, the crests of waves if it's too if it's really choppy out. So a lot of times that's the type of stuff that will get will make clutter. Right. But it really wasn't. It was pretty clear. I mean, we really didn't have. I mean, it was. I think it was like five foot seas, if that. It was like super calm out. So. Uh, you know, I didn't really think we were we were we were tracking white caps, which is what we call the the breaking of the waves. Um, so, uh, in order to try to clear up the clutter and the ghost tracks, uh, we took the systems down as soon as we got captain's permission to take them down, and uh, they recalibrated everything, and then we brought them back up, and lo and behold. You know, we some of the clutter that was there was gone, but the tracks were there, clear as day. You know, so at that point we knew that they were solid tracks, but we didn't know what they were. Mm. There's a lot of possibilities of what they could be. You know, we knew they weren't any type of commercial airline or anything like that because they weren't using any type of radio communication to let us know who they were. Uh, they weren't using a system called IFF, uh, what we call identification friend or foe. It's a system that commercial airlines and military airlines of most modern nations use to identify themselves. It's basically uh, just a signal that pulses off these aircraft that will tell you the aircraft name, who they're who they're affiliated with, and whatever their their tail number is. Oh. You know, so uh, it's it's a way so you don't get shot down. Right. <laughs> so. But uh, all commercial airlines have IFF. All American military have uh, airplanes have IFF. Uh, most modern countries do. It's uh, you know it's something that we're just used to seeing it just pop up. And with IFF, when we're tracking the the object, once IFF kicks in, it'll automatically label that object. Right. It'll say you know commercial airliner, or it'll say COM one, or you know COM two. So commercial. You know, they'll just label it a commercial airline. So we'll know exactly what it is. Now, see, these things were going like 100 knots, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, I mean, most airplanes have to get up to 200 miles an hour before they even get off the ground. Oh, that's so, interesting. You know, so, I mean, these things are basically just kind of whimsically, kind of kind of just floating in, in a southern path, just really kind of minding their own business on the edge of, you know, the area that where we were working our our uh our mission in and uh they didn't seem hostile or anything they weren't coming at our ships or anything like that they weren't you know in- interrogating us or anything like that they were just there 
they would see them. They'd 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 float into a southerly route, and sometimes they disappear. Sometimes they reappear, and you know, for most of the time, for over the week, we were we were tracking between three and ten of them at a time. So, like when you when you see like the episode of uh, Unidentified where me and Kevin were on, and uh, he's like, they were raining from the sky. You know, he's he's talking about like he was talking about the whole week. Mm. Like he was just all week they're just coming, you know, coming and going, just raining UFOs. You know, that, that's how he meant that, and and they they just they love that soundbite, man. They played that thing so much. Yeah, you know, so it makes it sound like there was hundreds of UFOs just coming from the sky. But he was just very yeah. excited about it, and you know, I mean, we had to go back and uh, in a lot of interviews that we've done together, he's had to explain that. So that's one of those things that a lot of people. I'm just trying to try to hit the points of the the questions I commonly get too. No, this is really awesome, Gary. Thanks. All right. And then, uh, so at this point, we know the tracks are very slow. We knew that they were real, solid tracks. And so we just kept tracking them for, I mean, and this is this, and then, you know, montage for like the next week is just, you know, me smoking, drinking coffee, standing watch, working out, checking combat mm -hmm. you know and then at some point it dawns on me that i have the relative bearing of these things and with you know we're not so far away that if they're at least got lights i should be able to see them through the big eyes oh. yeah so i'm, I'm kind of hoping that maybe like it's a dirigible or something i can see like a tail light or you know i can you know most commercial aircraft most aircraft in general have some type of lighting so right so can you please explain for us non-military people what the big eyes actually are? All right. So big eyes, they are a, uh, this is a link uh, that is pulled off of the, uh, of Google, Google, just real quick, that will show you what the big eyes look like. So, I mean, these are. Oh, wow. They are big yeah, eyes. Yeah. When we say big eyes, we're not kidding. I mean, they are basically a massive set of binoculars that are permanently fixed to the bridge right <laughs> i mean these things are huge they are big. And, and so you can see almost 30 miles with these things on a if it's a nice clear day or a clear night wow, 30 miles so now i i was able to actually look uh so basically what i would do is i'd go to combat and i'd look at the radar screen and if we had the tracks i would the relative bearing, meaning what direction and elevation that I should be looking at. Right. So then when I get up to the bridge wing, I'm kind of, you know, I'm going to be looking at that relative area where it should be. Right. You know, so if we're in a good spot and I think we're close enough, I used to go up to the bridge wing and I'd look at them. Now, when I when I would see them, you got to remember that these were still very far away, but they were they were they were luminous. Mm. So you know, I could see a white fuzzy dot where there sh it should be via the relative bearing so i thought that was you know that's kind of weird i wonder I wonder what the hell this thing is um and so and at night you could really see them mm. yeah i mean and you know but then they disappear and then they'd come back and you know so so it was it was pretty pretty amazing you know and you know there wasn't anything crazy weird going on yet just you know basically just these lights in the sky at this point so Still getting a little excited about it. I actually made sure that the data recording wasn't just like because normally on these like little training missions, data recording is not really that important. Right. So you're just you're just flipping the tapes. You're not even changing them. <laughs> so when this started to happen, I started making sure it was a fresh tape 
every single time. Like you can record front and back on these tapes, but record the front, record the back, and then fresh tape. Record the front, and you do what you do. You can do up to four at a time, and it just goes from one tape to the next. Mm-hmm. So I just always made sure there was a fresh tape in that loop. And so those tapes were always going for the entire seven days. That's smart thinking. Now that records that records all the spy stuff. That records all the combat information center. Your, your um, any it records of uh, anything to go through the ages system period. Right. Um, and then CEC has its own its own kind of like system. It's an enclosed system and it records all its own system stuff. Cause it's almost like, um, well, it's, it, it just, we, we, I could just say that it, it, it doesn't need tapes. Mm. And that's it. Everything else about it, about that aspect of it, I'm pretty sure it's still classified. So, right. um, but it, it doesn't need tapes. So I'm not recording on that stuff, but there is data being recorded somewhere. And that's that's my roundabout way of saying that there is data from it, <laughs> so it's not a loss. Um, uh, so a lot of this data, a lot of the talkback chats and stuff like that, are being recorded on other machinery in the computer room. Uh, you know, uh, we have uh, data recording going on on pretty much every system on the ship, so everything is being recorded right. at all times. And so it was just kind of like a hunch, you know, kind of like that that little that little scratch in the back of your head, like maybe I should be recording all this just in case. Right. And uh, you know, it, well, you know, who knows what they were? For all I know, it could have been friggin' enemy aircraft just chilling on the chilling on the edge of our battle group. Um, generally, we you know you can't really see past the horizon, which is two hundred fifty six nautical miles. So that's kind of the limit of your, 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 where you can, you can see. Right. Um, I mean, sometimes you get, you know, radar returns over it cause it bounces off the atmosphere, but generally you don't <laughs> kind of like skip when you're doing uh, ham radios. Right. Yeah. So it's similar to that. Um, and then, uh, so all of a sudden, like I said, montage, it's the same thing for days and days and days. And at one point, like at the fifth or sixth day, I'm like, why haven't we gone and taken a look at what these things are? Why are not we are not interrogating this stuff? What is going on? And I was getting frustrated, you know, because I'm, I'm nobody, really. I mean, I'm taking care of important systems, you know, you know, you know mm-hmm. however many million dollar weapon system or billion dollar weapon system but you know other than that i'm not that important <laughs> i don't make any decisions or anything you know i mean i'm just like wondering what these because all the upper chain of command we haven't heard anything from them no explanations no meetings no briefings about it it's interesting and it's almost like you know, it's almost like they were just kind of trying to pretend like it just wasn't happening interesting but i think that there was stuff going on in the background sure personally i think i have no proof of exactly what happened because like i said i was low rank i don't you know i'm just giving the general feeling of like what the junior enlisted were feeling at the time right you know even kevin being you know he you know he was he was a senior chief which is i mean there's only one enlisted rank or two higher and there's only one command master chief so (laughs) yeah so there's really not much higher than a senior chief enlisted wise so and he still didn't you know they were really weren't talking to him very much either so 
uh, I, you know, I remember uh, getting dragged down to uh, to uh, one of our secure spaces and started and uh, watching the video of the intercept. I'm like, finally, oh my god, you know. I said, oh, I'm watching this thing, and you know, at first they're just floating there, and then all of a sudden they're just matching moves. They're moving right angles. They're moving from point to point at constant speeds rather than ramping up. And and you know, because like any any type of vehicle that you use, airplane, car, boat, truck, you know, planes, trains, automobiles, they all have a certain uh, ramp up to get to a speed. You know, you can't just go from one to 100 in the same instant. Right. You know, you have to, you have to, we, every vehicle we have on this earth goes one, two, three, all the way up to 100. I mean, we can get there fast in some vehicles, but not like this. Right. This was so fast that it could move from one point to another. It would register in your brain, it moved but you wouldn't realize how fast it was or that it actually even moved. It would take you a second to realize it was, it had moved. Wow. But then you would understand, yes, it did move and it was at this type of speed, but then you're just like, wow, you know, cause there was no ramp up in the speed. It was just from point A to point B one speed and that's it. Sometimes super fast, sometimes super slow. It didn't really matter. It just seemed like uh, inertia really wasn't a thing for mm -hmm. it because like, you know, some of the, some of the maneuvers that it was doing at right angles and stuff like, yeah. Oh, the, the, the way that it moved, it was just miraculous. Uh, I mean, the level of technology, uh, you know, I got very excited because like, you know, a lot of, a lot of the other, you know, we had, you know, you had all kinds of various reactions to it. Um, and, but there was only so many people that could see the video. I mean, you just had to be in the right place at the right time right. or already knew it was going to happen or, you know, and then of course you had to have a top secret clearance. Right. You know, so I mean, but it was kind of like everybody with a top secret clearance was on a computer somewhere watching it. <laughs> so, so was this live while it was actually happening? I was under the impression at the time it was live, but now coming back and talking with other people, I have a feeling that it had happened previously that day. Right. But it was within this within hours of it happening. There you were watching the video with all the crew. What sort of impressions were you hearing from from the people standing around you? Um, all the people that got to see the video were either really, really quiet, or you, know, you got to remember this is a lot of information to process. And right. anybody that doesn't have a physics or engineering background, they're they're just looking at this like, how is this even possible? Yeah. You know, they don't they don't understand that it's technically not breaking the laws of physics but it is building upon a new set wow interesting basically you know because there's a lot of wild theories and you know especially in quantum mechanics and and uh you know in mm. you know theoretical science there's a lot of you know stuff that even you know i won't touch but people are like yeah it's mathematically possible look and i go yeah it's mathematically possible to do go back in time but you don't see too many people doing that yet you know so uh <laughs> so like i said before i'm a skeptical believer right. i i think that uh i I, st I keep it to the nuts and bolts of things um mm -hmm. the ones things that kind of concern me about these objects even though you know we couldn't identify them they still to this day remain unidentified right matter of fact the u.s navy just came out this last week and basically made us the most credible witnesses in history because they 
basically said yes these are real unidentified aircraft from the u.s navy you know so it was uh that was pretty amazing and a bit vindicating yes. you know it's not just a it's not just a it's not just a uh a, a drunken sea story <laughs> anymore it's a <laughs> yeah yeah exactly it must have felt very vindicating for you guys to know that because you knew the reality of what you saw, but having it officially acknowledged is another thing entirely. Now, see, the thing is, is, you know, I kind of feel like I felt the gravity of it a lot faster because I understood the physics behind what they were trying, they were doing. And I didn't, you know, I'm not not saying I understand how it worked. I'm just saying I'm looking at this. I know physics. Right. I know engineering. I know we don't have anything that can do that. Right. <laughs> I know I I know the theories of you know of uh, you know uh, gravitational propulsion and and when ion drives and you know all these you know at that time you got to remember this is back in two thousand four right. we hadn't even developed an ion drive then it was still just a concept you know and even that is like child's play compared to the level of engineering and physics that it would take to build these crafts Mm -hmm. but in the same respect a anything that had that kind of level of tech i don't believe that they would be seen unless they wanted us to see them which kind of lends me to kind of figure out why was this so sloppy Mm -hmm. you know why was it you know why were they you know why why were they so in our face you know i mean because they had to have known we were tracking them mm-hmm. you know i mean they they are they demonstrated later on during the intercept that uh this is this is information that i got from kevin day um during the intercept at one point it one of one of the tic tacs disappeared and actually arrived at what's called the cap point right now the cap the cap point is basically where all the planes would converge back, like say, return to the cap. So this would be where they would all go back to wait to be assigned another target or to to come back and regroup. It's like a regroup spot. Right. Right. Now it's top secret. Only the people that that are doing the flight control and the pilots are going to know this. And it's only going to be, it's going to be over through encrypted communications that they get these things. So, And the, the level of secrecy about the cat point is very, very, it's a very high level of secrecy. So for these objects to know exactly that position in a three-dimensional space, exactly where the cat point was, is demonstrating the fact that either A, they already knew the entire game plan, mm-hmm. or B, they have the ability to actually, you know, monitor our communications without having to worry about encryption yeah yeah absolutely That's where we'll end today's episode. Be sure and join us next week for the conclusion of Gary's experiences and thoughts and my conversation with Patrick. Also, don't miss the interesting conclusion that both men have come to about their experiences with the hindsight of years and much thought about the subject.
Our musical score today is called Private Reflection by Kevin MacLeod, licensed under Creative Commons. For more information, check out this episode's page on the podcast website at www.walkingtheshadowlands.com. If you have any suggestions for topics you might like me to cover in upcoming episodes, then please don't hesitate to contact me. Or if any of you have any questions or any comments that you'd like to make or experiences that you might like to share privately or with myself and my audience, then just email me at shadowlands at yahoo.com. If you enjoyed this episode, then please leave a positive rating and don't be shy to leave a written review on your chosen podcasting platform. Who knows? You may hear your review read out at the end of one of these podcasts. And of course, so you don't miss out on any episode, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast is available on all free podcasting platforms and from iHeartRadio as well. If you don't have a smartphone, then you can listen to the episodes from the podcast website. For those hearing impaired, there's a full written transcript of each episode on the website, so you don't miss out at all. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell your workmates about us, about our show. Encourage them to listen and to subscribe also, the more the merrier. And take the time to check out our Facebook page, Walking the Shadowlands, our Instagram feed of the same name, and our Twitter feed at Shadowlands10. Like and follow for hints on our upcoming episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Tonight, today, wherever you are in this beautiful world of ours, We'll see you this time next week. Thanks for listening. 